chapter eighteen of the subjection of isabel carnaby this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org the subjection of isabel carnaby by ellen thornycroft fowler chapter eighteen dr mukharji early in the spring a considerable sensation was created in the fashionable world by an oriental occultist who set up a sort of seance in a small flat in mount street a dr mukharji he told fortunes consulted crystals cured nervous disorders and generally comported himself after the manner of his kind with that passion for anything absolutely new and especially for anything new concerning the eternal verities which characterizes the denizens of london to-day as it characterized the denizens of athens long ago it became the mode to run after dr mukharji and to accept with faith and humility his additions to accepted dogma and his emendations of revealed truth in short dr mukharji became so much the fashion that he would have found no difficulty had he been that way inclined in starting a brand-new religion and securing countless converts to the same but it happened that he was not that way inclined so he contented himself with teaching a sort of neo-buddhism pseudo-theosophy and embellishing it with certain embroideries from the occult of course it was women who ran after him not men men let it be admitted to their credit are more diffident in exchanging old lamps for new than women are they hesitate before giving up the word which has been a lantern unto their feet in favour of some new fad in electric lighting but women as a rule will recklessly barter away the seven golden candlesticks of the book of revelation for the patent lamp which some pioneer of modern thought has hung on the front of his bicycle therefore women crowded to the little flat in mount street and confided their respective pasts to dr mukharji on condition that he would in return confide to them their respective futures many silly women were led captive by the strange devices of the occultist but none attended his rooms in mount street with such frequency and regularity as fabia so much so that ere long scandal began to busy itself with the names of dr mukharji and mrs charles gaythorne and to hint very unpleasant things concerning that lady's repeated visits to the oriental quack and fortune-teller then at last isabel seaton broke through her rule and interfered i've got something rather horrid to say to you fabia she began i hate saying it and you'll hate hearing it but it has got to be said so here goes then why say it at all fabia interrupted her if neither you nor i will derive any pleasure from the communication why impart it because my conscience insists upon it and my conscience so rarely mentions anything or makes itself in any way troublesome that i hardly like to refuse it on the rare occasions when it does yours certainly is not an importunate conscience fabia admitted with her languid smile 
no it isn't its worst enemy couldn't call it a chatty sort of conscience for it hardly ever speaks from week's end to week's end i don't hear its voice therefore when it does begin to whisper i feel bound to listen to it as i certainly shouldn't do if it were one of those tiresome garrulous consciences which never give their owners a moment's peace you should just hear paul's the thing can't hold its tongue for five minutes together but is always poking its nose into matters that don't concern it i could imagine that mr seaton's conscience is the sort that might give trouble to its owner paul's wife sighed deeply i believe you and not to its owners only it is a typical specimen of the nonconformist conscience in full working order with all the latest improvements laid on the moment he gives it its head it begins grumbling and spluttering like an infuriated motor-car till his life and mine become burdens to us and the more we suffer the more that terrible conscience sets all its hideous machinery in motion unfortunately paul is such an unselfish husband that he shares everything with me even down to his conscientious scruples and they alas are so numerous and so active and isabel sighed again poor isabel but there was envy rather than pity in fabia's tone she could not help feeling the contrast between isabel's half-laughing and wholly devoted attitude towards her husband and the dreary dullness of her own relations with charlie she despised him far too much to laugh at him when first i was married isabel continued i used to picture myself as a bold young perseus about to deliver my andromeda of a husband from his monster of a conscience but as the enlightening of early married life went on i realized that paul was rather like those indian people who allow white bulls and white elephants to trample them to death because they worship the animals so now i hang garlands myself round the neck of the creature on its gala days and lie down alongside of my husband while it plays the giddy juggernaut over our prostrate forms believe me my dear a husband with a conscience is no joke yet i can imagine that a husband without a conscience would be still less of one far less that's the difficulty but we have wandered to my beloved husband's conscience while the conversation began about mine i think you said yours was not of the white bull and white elephant species fabia endeavoured once more to stave off what she guessed was coming although she knew that this procrastination would have no effect in the long run isabel might not be as direct in her methods as was old mrs gaythorne but she invariably arrived finally at the point for which she had started not it it is more like the war office or the local government board never interferes until it is too late to mend anything and never locks a stable door until all the horses have died of typhoid a convenient sort of conscience to keep very and very little expense but just now it is so noisy in clamouring for a new lock on the empty stable door that i've no option but to listen to it fabia you are going too often to see that horrid cousin of yours ram chandar mukharji people are talking about it and about you fabia smiled scornfully let them talk but my dear that's just what i don't want to let them do talking is a most hurtful and dangerous practice 
i do not care what they say about me and ram chandar but you ought to care my dear fabia you really ought already their talking is beginning to do you harm and as for charlie he will go mad when he hears of it as he is bound sooner or later to do even the people whom it most concerns hear of a thing eventually though of course not till long after everybody else i do not care fabia repeated you ought never to have let that tiresome cousin of yours come over from india at all i met him when i was out there years ago and thought him a most weird and uncanny person i'm sure charlie wouldn't approve of him as men always hate what is weird and uncanny and different from what they learned at their mother's knees paul disapproves most frightfully of anything to do with occultism and spiritualism and things of that kind so i never let him know how intensely they interest me i do not care whether charlie approves of my visits to mount street or not it is no business of his stern disapproval looked out of mrs seaton's blue eyes oh fabia how horrid of you i think it is disgusting to speak of your husband like that why if paul disapproves of anybody it always turns me against them even if i've adored them up to then and if he disapproves of my doing things i never really enjoy doing them even though i have revelled in it before in fact i often refrain from asking him his opinions of things and people for fear he should spoil my pleasure in them for the future again the scornful smile curled fabia's lips if you really loved him as much as you think you do you would obey him in the spirit as well as the letter now fabia don't begin teaching your grandmother how to love her husband because i know a precious sight more about that than you do i may not know much but i do know how a woman feels who is absolutely devoted to her husband and i know that she doesn't feel by any means a fool if you've lost your heart it doesn't follow that you've lost your brain as well still if you lose your heart it frequently follows that you will also lose your head persisted fabia my head isn't of the losing sort thank you i rarely mislay it but generally carry it about with me under my arm a la st winifred so that i can lay my hands on it whenever i think fit well isabel you must admit that your husband's opinion would carry more weight with anybody than my husband's would therefore you cannot wonder at my thinking less of charlie's disapproval than you do of mr seaton's isabel's eye twinkled in a manner which in a less mature and distinguished matron would have been called a wink but i am affected by paul's opinions even when i am aware that he doesn't know what he is talking about and that they aren't worth the breath with which they are uttered that is where the rich joke of being married comes in and yet you say you are not a fool certainly because i know that i am and to be wise enough to know that you are a fool is proof positive that you are not one suddenly fabia's conversation took a desperate turn oh isabel you have no idea how awfully dull it is to be married to a man like charlie i've borne it as long as i can and i don't feel as if i could bear it any longer it is all very well for you who are married to a clever man to preach about the due subjection of a wife but you would sing a different tune if you were married to a well-meaning goose isabel shook her head i don't think so i should never find out that he was a goose if i were in love with him 
for all i know paul may be one of the dullest men on the face of the earth in fact i know certain people consider him so but to me he is the one supremely interesting fact in the universe the one sufficient and satisfactory entertainment of creation it is far more interesting to me to hear paul say that there is a button off his shirt than to hear the greatest man of the day hold forth upon the most burning questions but that isn't cleverness bless you it's love but i'm not in love with charlie you see i never pretended to be that is where the tragedy of my life comes in if only i loved him then everything would be different it was on the tip of isabel's tongue to say then you ought not to have married him but once more her usually somnolent conscience showed signs of vigour had she not done all in her power to bring about a marriage between fabia and charlie gaythorne and was not a portion of the responsibility of their unhappy union hers fabia went on somewhat pathetically you cannot imagine how horribly dull it is to be married to a man with whom you are not in love you get so deadly tired of his anecdotes i believe that if a woman isn't in love with her husband she could bear anything even his neglect or his downright cruelty better than his anecdotes you didn't object to charlie's anecdotes so much before you married him and i'm sure you heard them all then so you knew exactly what they were about you married with your ears open so to speak i know i did but things sound so different before and after marriage a man may be an amiable pastime but an extremely poor profession he may excel as a recreation but become wearisome as a duty he may prove delightful as an hors d'oeuvre but deadly as a piece de resistance fabio you really ought not to discuss your husband with another woman in this fashion said isabel reprovingly then having satisfied her awakening conscience she added what anecdote of charlie's is it that bores you most there are several of them that almost kill me with exhaustion no harm in them you know but as long and pointless as a darning needle and nearly always about his parents so dutiful and yet so dull i think however the story that wearies me most is about mrs gaythorne and a harvest thanksgiving it lasts for ages and always requires a bookmarker i know it replied isabel sympathetically you must if you know charlie well i am now twenty-three years old and charlie twenty-six so we shall in all human probability have about another half-century of each other's society and just think how often during that time i shall hear the story of mrs gaythorne and the harvest thanksgiving it is appalling to contemplate it is like thinking of eternity or climbing up a winding staircase no end and no beginning i suppose however fabio continued that in the most favourable circumstances marriage like politics is the science of the second best and it is absurd to expect the ideal in it not a bit of it retorted isabel with some heat it is either the height of bliss or else the depth of boredom it is the very opposite of the second best as it must be the very best or the very worst a husband is either the one man in the world or else the one man that you wish wasn't in the world there is no happy mean in matrimony well isabel i should have been abundantly satisfied with the second best if only i could have secured it and there was a wistful sound in the sweet voice second best indeed retorted mrs seaton tossing her head and yet i must admit she added with a humorous twinkle that a good many men like their second best 
fabia agreed with her that is so i fancy that my late respected father-in-law would have been among that number if only he had had the chance paul won't remarked paul's first with much decision in her tone you would hate to think that he could have a second wouldn't you not i replied isabel airily i'm not that selfish dog in the manger sort of a woman i've told paul over and over again that if anything happens to me he is at liberty to marry again as soon as he likes of course he'll find any other woman awfully dull after me but i can't help that he must take the rough with the smooth and the dull with the lively as other men much married have had to do from henry the eighth downwards it is unreasonable of any man to expect to get all his wives cast in the same mould and then having shot her arrow and given her hint isabel wandered off into indifferent subjects she had learnt the great social art of punctuation she knew where to stop and was far too much a woman of the world to indulge in the unpardonable practice known as rubbing it in but in spite of mrs seaton's well-timed word of warning fabia continued to visit the small flat in mount street far oftener than was wise or desirable she was constantly seen going in and out and people talked more than ever in consequence in time the gossip reached the ears of captain gaythorne but he made no sign he was the sort of man who would find it impossible to speak to his wife upon such a subject as this his innate chivalry revolted at the mere idea of such a thing but although he was slow to speak and slow to wrath in his dealings with women he was neither the one nor the other in his dealings with his own sex and he made up his mind that if things continued to go on like this it would not be long before dr mukharji had a very bad quarter of an hour indeed charlie gaythorne might be afraid to scold his wife but he was not at all afraid to give his wife's cousin a sound horse-whipping and he intended to do so at the earliest opportunity isabel finding that her hint to fabia had been of no avail decided with characteristic courage to tackle the occultist himself upon the subject she was still firmly set against speaking to charlie although she knew too much about men to suppose for an instant that they are as blind as they frequently in their mysterious wisdom pretend to be she nevertheless recognized the bare possibility of captain gaythorne's being as ignorant of fabia's goings-on as he appeared and in that case she felt she would rather die than be the instrument employed to open his mercifully closed eyelids therefore having taken the wise and wifely precaution of not mentioning to her husband beforehand what she intended to do lest he should see fit to forbid the same mrs paul seaton joined herself to the multitude of silly women who were being led astray by the false doctrines of dr mukharji and presented herself at the door of the flat in mount street she was shown into a waiting-room tastily though scantily furnished and already half full of fashionably dressed women to her profound relief there were none of them who were known to her personally though she knew one or two quite well by sight and as she had added to her toilet a thick motor veil she cherished vain hopes that no one would recognize her it's a good thing that i put on a motor veil like the ostrich and so am invisible she said to herself though i am convinced that some of these horrid old cats will know who i am all the same and talk about it till it gets round to paul but that won't matter as i shall tell him myself at the proper time when it is too late for him to prevent my coming fortunately it is often too late to forbid and never too late to forgive and that is the exact time for making confessions to a husband 
as mrs seaton had taken the further precaution of making an appointment with dr mukharji she had not long to wait in her ostrich-like invisibility but was shortly ushered by a closely veiled female attendant in gorgeous native dress into the presence of the popular charlatan isabel thought him looking much older than when last she saw him in those far-off pre-nuptial days when she was living with the farleys but that was hardly to be wondered at as she herself had then been in the early dawn of the twenties and now she was fast coming within sight of her fortieth milestone there was no doubt that she did not look as young now as she had looked then but she took the flattering unction to her soul which we all take when we meet friends and acquaintances whom we have not seen for several years namely that though we may have aged a little they have aged much more and there was more ground for isabel's assumption than there frequently is in such circumstances ram chandar had certainly altered more than she in the long years since last they met in the first place he was no longer clean-shaven but a long black beard protected his chest from the inclemencies of the english climate and a beard always ages a man but his dark eyes so like fabia's retained their youthful brilliancy and his hands as small and delicate as a woman's testified as of yore to the highly strong nervous temperament concealed under his manner of apparently immutable calm he had not adopted the good old english custom of measuring the flight of time by the weights of avoirdupois on the contrary he looked if possible slimmer and slighter than he used to do and had lost none of his eastern panther-like grace so you also are among my disciples mrs seaton as i also am among the prophets he said as he advanced to meet his visitor whom he recognized at once in spite of her attempted disguise he was amused at her coming to consult him and he showed it he was fully aware of paul seaton's uncompromising hostility towards everything connected with occultism and the like and anything in the form of wifely insubordination tickled his sense of humour finding her incognito thus ruthlessly thrust aside the ostrich threw back her inadequate disguise somewhat heartily i have hardly come to ask advice dr mukharjee but rather to administer it pray be seated he said in his soft oriental voice placing a chair for mrs seaton i shall not detain you long isabel began and her manner was that of the grande dame which she could assume when she thought it necessary and worth the trouble but i have just one thing to say to you regarding your future no regarding yours the occultist bowed politely i await your instructions mrs seaton it is an agreeable change for me to take the role of learner instead of that of teacher i have come to speak to you dr mukharjee about my friend and your cousin mrs charles gaythorne again mukharjee bowed an ever interesting subject to me you are doubtless unaware continued isabel more stately than ever that unpleasant remarks are being made about your cousin's too frequent visits to your house i gave her a hint upon the subject but with no avail she is still so young that she hardly realizes how dangerous it is to bring down scandal even upon the most undeserving head but you and i are older than she dr mukharjee and we understand how much harm can be done to a woman by ill-natured gossip however unfounded it may be and i therefore come to you to ask you to make some excuse for lessening fabia's visits to you both as regards length and number 
a mocking smile lit up the dark eyes that were fixed upon isabel i see you make an appeal to me to give up the one pleasure of my life at your bidding the one thing that has brought me all the way from india here certainly you have great confidence in your powers of persuasion mrs seaton i congratulate you upon so valuable a possession as unlimited confidence in yourself isabel threw back her head haughtily you mistake me dr mukharji i use no persuasion and i make no appeal i merely point out to you what is required of you as a gentleman and i take it for granted that you cannot disappoint me the mocking eyes still smiled and you do not call that an appeal mrs seaton certainly not it would be an insult to you to do so one can hardly appeal to a gentleman to act as a gentleman since it would be impossible for him to do otherwise the charlatan was far too clever not to recognize and admire cleverness when he saw it and just now his admiration for his visitor was marked the girl whom ram chandar had once condemned as shallow and noisy had developed into an extremely accomplished woman of the world then may i ask precisely what you did come to say to me mrs seaton merely to inform you that malicious gossip is beginning to couple your name with that of your cousin and did you suppose i did not know that already your conduct in allowing her to continue her visits proved conclusively that you did not so you took the trouble to come here in the midst of your busy life to enlighten me an ignorance which had no existence save in your own mind your supposed ignorance did not originate in my mind but in your manner dr mukharji i had no alternative but to believe that you were unconscious that fabia's visits here were doing her harm as otherwise you would have declined to receive her you flatter me mrs seaton if you consider it flattery to take you for a gentleman i do replied the undaunted isabel rising from her seat and now having said what i came to say there is nothing left to say but good morning but the fortune-teller was not going to let her escape so easily stop a minute mrs seaton not so fast now that we have disposed of my cousin fabia's affairs would it not interest you to hear something about your own not at all thank you conscientiously lied isabel if there was one thing that she would have loved more than another it was to have her future foretold by the eastern seer but she knew that her husband profoundly disapproved of all such dabbling in the unseen so she forbore you would not care to know what office mr seaton will hold in the next cabinet or whether he will hold any office at all you are indeed curiously lacking in curiosity isabel was sorely tempted yet she still withstood i will not trespass on your time so far dr mukharji because your husband has forbidden it i see you are indeed a wifely wife mrs seaton isabel did not deign to make any reply to this but she could not fail to feel there was something rather uncanny in the old cultist's knowledge of her inmost thoughts and reasons but do you not think it a pity continued the fortune-teller to allow your husband's narrow views and unfounded prejudices to limit your own mind and intelligence do you not think 
that in a matter such as this wherein if you will permit me to say so you are far more competent to judge than he is it would be better both for you and for him that you should disobey mr seaton's somewhat unreasonable and arbitrary dictum i neither disobey nor discuss my husband dr mukharji so i can only bid you good morning and isabel swept out of the room with the air of an offended queen as soon as she had gone the occultist laughed aloud to think of a brilliant woman like that subjecting herself and submitting her judgment to a narrow-minded fool such as paul seaton truly a woman in love is a wonderful and remarkable creature isabel at once confessed to her husband where she had been and why and why she had not told him of her visit beforehand she was always candour itself unless there was any very special reason to the contrary as in this case there undoubtedly was for paul would have vetoed her visit to the charlatan at once had he heard of it it was not that she was afraid of her husband but that she was afraid of herself not that she felt paul's fiats must not be disobeyed but that she knew it was not in her to disobey them if once they had gone forth it was she not paul who would be really vexed if her obedience to her husband did not come up to her own somewhat elastic standard so she adapted herself to what she considered her own weakness by preventing the commandment from being made until it was already broken a comfortable arrangement for the conscience if not for the commandment paul for his part was immensely amused at the opportunism of his wife though he did not always consider it politic to let that lady know how much amused he was matrimony like experience is a certificated teacher but isabel had reckoned without her host when she treated dr mukharji as an english gentleman he was not an english gentleman and he did not behave as such in spite of isabel's appeal to him fabia's visits to mount street continued with undiminished frequency then at last isabel saw no option but to have recourse to her denier ressort and to speak to charlie gossip was making free with the names of fabia and her cousin and the snowball of scandal increased in size with every rotation as is the way of snowballs and scandals it had proved useless and worse than useless to tackle the principal performers themselves so there was nothing left but to appeal to charlie to save fabia from herself but isabel knew better than to deal with him as she had dealt with the others charlie might not be a genius but he was a gentleman quite as good a thing in its way and better for the persons with whom he had to do there is a wonderful free masonry among really well-bred people they know the rules of the game and are as slow to give or take offence as they are quick to give or take a hint the art of taking a hint is a fine art the art of taking offence a debased one therefore all that isabel did was to remark airily one day in the middle of a conversation with captain gaythorne by the way charlie don't you think that fabia is looking a bit pale and overdone why don't you take her for a run over to paris for whitsuntide the london season is a trying time for unseasoned londoners and fabia is new to the inhalation of wood pavements as yet charlie knew in a minute exactly what she meant and was grateful to her for saying it and for not saying it 
but all he replied was that's not a bad idea by jove not a bad one at all in fact i call it a ripping good one i should adopt it then if i were you isabel continued i'm sure it would do fabia a lot of good and you wouldn't miss much as there is never anything going on in town at whitsuntide i think this is a trying sort of season the hot weather began so soon and so suddenly april came in like an arctic sea-line and went out like a hot roast lamb a cold in the head tied me by the leg so to speak at easter and we couldn't get away then at all so i proposed to paul to take me for a good long holiday at whitsuntide and i should advise you and fabia to do the same but i thought that those government fellows had to keep their noses to the grindstone don't you know retorted charlie as airily as isabel herself so how will seaton be able to get away on the spree well you see the grindstone won't be turning during the whitsuntide recess so no noses will be required and after that i shall make him find some conservative nose which like charlie's aunt is still running and pair it for another week or so i'll bet you five to one that the whips won't let him off with the present government in such a hole oh they will i know them they won't especially now that the present ministry is in such a bad way that it may smash up at any moment isabel shook her head with her wisest air not it it is feeble and defeat i admit but it is a chronic case not a dangerous one nurses always neglect chronic cases because they are so boring and tiresome and members of parliament do the same thus isabel conveyed to charlie that it was his duty to take his wife out of danger as soon as he could the only possible refuge now being in flight and captain gaythorne thanked her for her solution of the difficulty and decided to adopt it and yet neither of them had mentioned either the nature of the difficulty or the detested name of ram chandar mukharji chapter eighteen